Good morning. Let me start off this uh, week of Thanksgiving by saying, first off, I'm thankful for that. Uh, guys, it's an amazing reality that in a Muslim city, they're going to celebrate the Bible. Now, again, just as Joey said, they don't understand it in the same way we do. But nevertheless, we have learned, haven't we, in the book of Luke, when the word of Christ goes forward, stuff happens. So just pray that the Lord will use that. I'm secondly thankful for you, members of Restoration Church. Uh, let me just say that up and clear. Uh, I'm so thankful to God that this is not just the church that I pastor, but this is the church that I get to do life with. I love you. I thank God for every one of you. And I also want to say thank you to the members of Temple Baptist Church uh, for the ways that you opened up your doors and welcomed us in um, this year. What a treasure. So thank you for all that you have meant to us this year. So uh, this Thanksgiving, I'm awfully thankful for you. Uh, but most of all, I'm thankful for Jesus. Let's get to him, shall we? Uh, open up your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 5, if you haven't already. The sermon card says we're going to go on down to uh, verse 26, but I've already adjusted. We're only going to go to 16 today. We're going to go to verse 16. But I started last week's sermon by asking the question and then answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if you recall, when we opened up the Bible, when we investigated what it said at the end of Luke 4, what we saw was that Jesus... Uh, not only not only did Luke say this, but Jesus understood himself to be the sovereign fulfillment of the scriptures that rules by preaching. That's what we saw last week. That's who he is. So this week, I want to ask a similar yet slightly different question. We answered who Jesus is this week. We're going to answer the question. What's he like? What is Jesus like? Going back to that coworker in their desperation from last week, they come in and they ask you who Jesus is and you give them your answer. You open up to Luke four, but then they ask you, OK, well, who what's he like? Well, I believe that Luke chapter five, verses one to 16, we learn a great deal about what he's like. I think we could mention a thousand things, but I think in this passage we see at least seven things, seven ways as to what Jesus is like. Let's take a look at those as we take a look at our awe inspiring king chapter 5 verse 1 on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of god he was standing by the lake of gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat I just pause there for a moment. Now, just like last week, remember last week, uh, Luke said that he was, Jesus was preaching and then he gave us some insight into one of those incidents. We find the same thing here. We find at the end of chapter four, he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And then we go and we see him actually not in a synagogue preaching, but see, preaching out amongst a lake, the lake of Gennesaret. We see the circumstances revolving around that. Here, Jesus, the viral sensation, continues to sweep through the land. The, the crowds are pressing in on him. And you notice they're not just pressing in on him just to be healed. That's happened before. Look what it says. They're pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Now, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing statement. Luke has already documented for us that Jesus is the son of God. Therefore, his word is the word of God. We find in chapter 4, verse 32, the people are astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And so here, Jesus is going to preach a sermon, as it were, on a beach uh, at Lake Gennesaret. This is the same lake, by the way, that is also referred to as the Sea of Galilee. Same body of water. Uh, it's in the northern part of Israel, not too far away from Jesus' childhood home of Nazareth. Uh, again, these crowds are pushing in on him and Jesus sort of needs some space to preach. I feel this sometimes myself, right? I got a little body of water, a little smaller than what he had. Uh, and he wants some room. So he looks over, he sees these two boats and he sees these guys are cleaning their nets, having fished all night. And so he decides he's going to create this kind of the first floating pulpit. He gets in the boat and Simon presumably gets in the boat with him and they kind of push off the shore just a little bit so he can preach we also meet a couple people there if we look down in verse 10 there's a couple other guys that are there at boats so that's james and john or james and uh, yeah james and john we also know from the other gospels that andrew the brother of simon is there so these are the four guys that are at these two boats 
And we find that these two sets of brothers are partners in this fishing business, as it were. So you guys have heard of Five Guys Hamburgers. Well, meet four guys in fish and chips. This is sort of their, this is their business. This is what they do, these two sets of brothers. Jesus steps into the boat uh, that they're cleaning these tasks. They're cleaning the nets. Simon gets in the boat with him, I'm, I'm assuming, maybe along with Andrew. They push off just a bit so that uh, Jesus can be heard. And Jesus, as was customary, sits down in the boat amongst the crowds in there in the lake, and he preaches. And at the conclusion of that sermon, we find this. Verse 4, he's done preaching, done teaching. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now guys, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Here we have uh, Andrew and Simon. They are expert fishermen. They've been out all night. I'm sure they're tired. I'm sure they're a little frustrated. They didn't catch anything. And here at the conclusion of a sermon, this carpenter turned preacher is telling them how to fish. Right? It's not going to go everywhere. Like, what, what, we didn't catch anything. And you certainly don't go uh, trying to catch fish at this time of the day. But nevertheless, notice the words of Simon there. Luke, every single word in the Bible is the word of God. And this word is carefully constructed, I believe. Note how Simon responds. He says, but even though... We've been all night and not caught anything at your word. I will let down the nets. Remember in chapter four, we saw that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of God that ruled by preaching. And here so far, we see him teaching the word of God again. And here we're going to see Simon acting on the word of Christ. And what happens when Simon acts on the word of Christ? Verse six. And when they had and when they had done this. They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So they cast out the nets at the word of Christ. And as they started pulling up, we can imagine sort of Simon and his brother Andrew casting out the nets. We can imagine them like, you know, maybe part of it is just sort of like, that's your word, you know. And they kind of pull those nets thinking they're going to get nothing. But immediately they go. <clears throat> Simon and Andrew sort of look at each other. like, I think there's fish in here. And they begin to tug and they begin to tug and they begin to tug. So much so that they're looking at each other going like, I think there's actually a lot of fish in here. So many fish. In fact, these nets uh, begin to break. We can hear in the text. We can hear the nets. <clears throat> Beginning to break, there's so many fish. They call out to James and John, y'all get over here. We need some help. There's so much fish here. They run out there. They, you know, paddle out there as it were. The nets are breaking. They begin to put the fish inside of both of the boats. And what does the text tell us? The boats, there's so many fish, the boats are beginning to sink. And here we learn the first thing about what Jesus is like. Jesus is powerful. He is powerful. As we have already seen in this gospel-like creation of old, Jesus speaks and things come to be. Jesus here is able to create a bevy of fish when before there were none. We've already seen that he speaks and casts out demons. We see that he speaks and remember he's already met Simon's mother-in-law. She, he spoke and her fever came out. We've seen that his words have power to push away even the devil himself. Jesus, friends, is powerful. And we also learn from this passage that Jesus is a provider. That's what he's like. He's powerful and he's a provider. He's a provider. Remember, this is Simon's livelihood. This is his livelihood. He was needy and he came up empty that night. And Jesus, seeing this need, makes provision for Simon. We'll see in a moment that Jesus also powerfully provides for a leper. Jesus is powerful and how does he use his power? To provide for needy people. That's what he's like. Well, back into the story here, the, the two sets of brothers pull up the load of fish. Jesus, my guess is, is there in the boat. I, I'm imagining with a big smile on his face, just a lot of satisfaction as these guys are kind of pulling in all of the fish, looking at each other, and all of this is happening. We find that at some point in there, as they're pulling all of these fish into the boat, 
sinking. Perhaps James and John are belling with each other, kind of looking at Jesus as he's sort of trying to help him a bit. We find that Simon is overcome. He kind of begins to put everything together and he looks at Jesus. And this is what happened. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Alright, now let's stop for a moment and ask and then answer a question. What does Luke, what does God's authoritative word want us to understand is happening? Why is this here? What's going on? The people are astonished at the catch of the fish, but the author would have us to see, I believe, the author would have us to see that they, that Jesus is something more than just some miracle worker. If you're paying attention, you probably caught it. Look back at verse 5. What does Simon call Jesus? He calls him Master, right? And then look at what Simon calls Jesus after the event. O oh Lord, Yahweh, God. Which explains why Simon does what he does and says what he says next. What he does is fall at fall down at Jesus' knees. That is, he's taking a posture of humility, a posture of worship. And what he says is similar in spirit to what we read in Isaiah of old, back in the Old Testament. When Isaiah looked in and saw the Lord, the Lord in the throne of hosts, amongst the throne of hosts. Do you remember what Isaiah said there? He looked in and saw the Lord and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Depart from me, for my eyes have seen the King. Simon says something very similar. Simon says, depart from me, for I am a man, a sinful man, O Lord. Same title. And he also says it to a king, to Jesus. So here we have this interesting thing happen. All of the crowds are trying to press in on Jesus. And yet Simon sees Jesus for who he is, and he wants to get away. Why? Because he understands himself to be a sinner and he understands who this Jesus actually is. See, friends, the text would have us to see here that not only is Jesus powerful, not only is he a provider, the text would have us to see here that Jesus is transcendent. He's transcendent. That's what he's like. He's transcendent. That is to say, he's set apart from the created order. There's something, he's something greater, something set apart from that created order. And Simon is pulling in all of these fish that were not there a time ago, he struck with the reality that Jesus is not like him, that he's not like us. While Jesus was in the flesh, he was God in the flesh. Simon sees that. And like Isaiah, he knew that sinners cannot stand in the presence of a transcendent God. I'm sure Simon maybe would have remembered Moses of old. Remember when he's out shepherding the flock, as it were, and he sees a burning bush. And he goes to that burning bush and it's Yahweh, it's Lord. And he says to take his sandals off because he's in the presence of the Holy One. Friends, we are right to emphasize, as we are soon, that Jesus is our friend, that Jesus is our heavenly husband, that he's compassionate, that he's gracious. But if we do not also with those things emphasize Jesus' transcendence, we compromise our understanding of Jesus. Jesus is the one of whom the angels sang, holy, holy, holy. Jesus is the one of whom the psalmist said, great are you, O Lord, and greatly are you to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. Jesus is the one of whom we will say in the consummated new heavens and new earth, worthy are you, as we bow down, worthy are you, Jesus. That's who this is. And until we understand that, we do not understand Jesus. If Jesus, friends, were to manifest himself, if he were to walk through that door right now, and he were to walk into this room, none of us would have the temptation of sashaying into his presence and giving him a high five and saying, what's up? None of us would. We all would instinctively know to bow the knee to his intrinsically and eternally great reality. That's who Jesus is. And we would also be quickly aware that we are not like him, that we are sinners. 
right? We, we can think back to Proverbs. Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. See, Simon was wise. He was wise. He was in awe. He was in fear of the Lord. And so must we be if we are going to enjoy all of Jesus' benefits. He is an awe-inspiring king. Jesus is the transcendent Lord. He dwells in unapproachable light. Simon would later see this in the undistilled vision of a, at the Mount of Transfiguration. That he is the glorious king. This is what he is like. Jesus is transcendent. Well, what will this powerful, providing, transcendent Lord say? What's he going to say in response to what Simon says? We'll take a look. Verse 10. Remember all that's going on. And so also were James and John, sons of Debbie, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Now, if I'm Simon, those are the best words, right? That's exactly what I would hope to have heard, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Most welcome words. Three simple words that tell us deep down what Jesus is like. Jesus, friends, is merciful. Say merciful. Jesus is merciful. He's full of merciful. uh, Full of mercy. So to be merciful is to be full of a willingness to grant undeserved ability. That's what it is to be merciful. To be merciful is to be full of a willingness to grant undeserved ability. Simon and the others receive the undeserved ability to know the person of Jesus as sinners and not get smoked. That's mercy. And I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't disagree with Simon's assessment of himself. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, no, Simon, Simon, whoa, bro, like, you're not that bad. Come on, man, stand up. I'm not that, I'm not that big of importance. Now, that actually happens, by the way. You should know that in the Bible, when angels and other people do that, they bow down. The angels say, no, 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 no. I'm not who that you think I am. But here, Jesus, he doesn't disagree with the fact that Simon is a sinner, and he also doesn't agree with, disagree with the fact that he is the Lord. Let's not forget, guys, this, this is the same Lord that in times past judged people for simply touching an ark. Simon, And all of us have reason to be afraid. We are all sinners, unclean, in the presence of the transcendent Lord. And yet, how does the Lord Jesus respond? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is full of mercy. Paul writes of him in Ephesians chapter 2 that he's rich with mercy. I love that story of uh, Esau and Jacob. Many of you know that story from back in the Old Testament when you find uh, Jacob has acted, he and his mom acted kind of, well, not real nice. And years later, Jacob's going to meet Esau on the road back. He sees him and he looks out in the distance and he sees Esau has got 400 men with him. And Esau's th- or Jacob's thinking, I'm going to get smoked today. And he goes down, he sends all these presents in advance. And then when he gets closer to Esau, he bows seven times. Scared to death of what Esau is going to do to him. And Genesis 33 verse 4 says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Esau showed Jacob mercy. Mercy. Anybody ever treated you like that? I'm sure if you were to slow down and think about it, a tear would come to your eye. You'd done something terrible, and when you came back into the presence of that person, they said, don't be afraid. They forgave you. Like Esau, they showed you mercy. Well, Jesus, friends, is full of mercy. He's full of mercy. This is who Jesus is. He says to sinners who bow the knee to him, recognizing who he is and what we deserve, pleading for mercy, those who he says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says that to us today. Those that bow the knee to him, pleading him for mercy. Don't be afraid. And as if all of that wasn't enough, on the other side of his mercy, we learn something else. We learn that Jesus is generous. Say generous. He's generous. Jesus is generous. Where do I get that? Well, not only does Jesus say to Simon, don't be afraid. He does even more than Simon or the rest of us could ask. We find here Jesus commissions Simon into his work. 
Don't be afraid. And from now on, you're going to be catching men. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He took on flesh. He dwelt among men. Why? To catch men. This world is sort of like the lake of Gennesaret. The gospel is that net. The fish are the people. Jesus came down to throw out the net into the sea of the world so that he might catch some and bring them home. It says later in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And here, Jesus, the transcendently powerful provider who is full of mercy, generously invites Simon and the others into that work to preach the gospel and pull in a harvest. And how do they respond? Look at verse 11. How might you respond? And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Take just a moment. Whatever interest you might have, and think about someone that you admire or respect, think highly of. If you're a scientist, think about some great science. A lawyer, think about some great lawyer. Some you're into history stuff, as I am, think about some great historical figure. Think about that person. And think about if that person were to show up on your doorstep and say to you that you, I want you to, you and I to work together to accomplish something great. So if I were living in the mid-19th century in America. When some people say that's when I should have been born. And if I were to get a knock at the door. And I were to go and open that door and I would see there Abraham Lincoln. I would take a gas and I would say, Mr. President. And he would say, Nathan, listen, I'm working on this thing called the Emancipation Proclamation. And I, I kind of want to get into this thing called the 13th Amendment, too. Listen, I need you to help. I want you to go into the countryside of the United States of America and I want you to sell this thing. I wouldn't have to. Well, let me pray about that, Mr. President. I'd be like, no, this is awesome. Yeah, let's go. Let me go now. Let's do it now. Right? How much more our Heavenly Father? How much more our King that invites us into His work to build His church, to spread the good news of the Gospel? How much More generous is the Lord Jesus who says not to sinners, not only don't be afraid, but to come catch men. Come on in and then get to work and spreading the good news of the gospel. How generous of the Lord to include sinners in the work. That, friends, speaks volumes about what Jesus is like. And I want you to notice, who did he choose? What kind of person was Simon and these other guys? He didn't go to the movers and shakers of the Lake District to find them and go use them. He could have. In some ways, he still does. He chose a couple fishermen, simple people, for an extraordinary task. That's what Jesus is like. He's generous to invite simple people into an extraordinary task of spreading the supremacy of his glory all over the earth. More on that in a minute. But let's take a look at this next story and then come back with some applications for us today. So far, we've seen that Jesus is powerful, that he is provider, that he is transcendent, that he is merciful, that he is generous. And now get this verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him at the word, Lord. If you will. You can make me clean. Let's stop there just for a moment. I want you to understand, guys, the gravity of this moment. Uh, the book of the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah or the Law. They would have been governed this region. And in that book of Numbers, one of those books, in those first five books, it says this in chapter five that, that an unclean man, in particular, one with leprosy, they were supposed to go outside the city, go outside the camp. They couldn't be in there because that disease, leprosy, is a, is a skin disease and it's incredibly content, contagious. They're supposed to go outside the city. If they were to even walk through a crowd, the Bible says that they were supposed to scream, unclean, unclean. And so not only was this man suffering from a serious physical disease that's coming to Jesus, he would have been suffering emotionally. He would have been suffering spiritually. He would have felt unloved. He would have felt alone. And to our great amazement, 
he comes to Jesus. Think about this, guys. Simon wanted Jesus to get away because he understood himself to be a sinner. And here we have a leper coming close. He takes the same posture the leper does of Simon. He falls flat on his face. He bows before Jesus. And he refers to Jesus in the same way that Simon does. Lord. And guys, listen for his faith. We see his faith, don't we? In his coming to Jesus, bowing to Jesus. But listen for his faith. You can see it, but now listen for it. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, the leper is saying, I'm unclean. You're the Lord, and if you will, you can do this. You can make me clean. You just got to say the word, Jesus. And friends, what comes next has to be one of the most amazing stories in the entire New Testament. Look what happens. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, Say, I read that again. I read that fast. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Revealing yet again, Jesus understood the Bible to be the word of God. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. What is Jesus like? He's compassionate. Say compassionate. He's compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. How do I get to that conclusion? Well, not only because he healed him, but more so because he touched the leper. He touched him. Again, leprosy is so highly contagious a disease, that's why people were supposed to leave the city, to go out the side of the city. If you just so much as glanced a pinky across the skin of this leprous man, you would have contracted the disease yourself. Much less one, look what it says there in verse 13. He's full of leprosy. Actually, verse 12, he's full of leprosy. But here, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Now, maybe some of you are saying, well, Nathan, yeah, he had to do that because he was going to heal him. I mean, it's great, but he had to do that to heal him. He had to touch him. No. Remember what we said, Jesus rules by preaching. It's his words that rule. Jesus didn't have to touch the fish to bring the fish. Jesus didn't have to touch the men who were demon-possessed. He just called the demons out. He didn't have to touch the mother-in-law of Simon. This fever just left upon his spoken. Look at what it says there in verse 13. What, when does it leave? When he speaks. Two words, be clean. It wasn't the touching. It wasn't necessarily the tr- touching. It was the words of Christ that caused it to go. Same words that Jesus would say on the Sea of Galilee, be still. And so it was. Therefore, Jesus reaching out and touching the man was evidence of Jesus' compassion for him. It was Jesus' attempt to identify himself with the situation of a man who had been suffering. Jesus was entering into, he was touching his suffering. Friends, this moment here is a miniature of what Jesus did in the incarnation. Jesus the Christ had from eternity enjoyed the fellowship of the Father and the praise of the angels. And yet he did not hold on to that vaunted position. Instead, he came and took on flesh He submitted himself to earthly parents, to earthly authorities. He knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew suffering. He was tempted in every way as we are, not because he had to, but because he chose to. He chose to enter into an unclean world, though he was clean. Friend, the reality is, is all of us, as the Bible teaches, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are full of leprosy. All of us are unclean. Every single one of us. So as a result of that, we deserve to live outside of the city of God. We don't deserve to live in the city of heaven. 
Because we're unclean, like this leper, because of our sin, our rebellion against God, we deserve to live outside the camp. And yet Christ not only came, but he drew near in mercy and in compassion. And guess what? He reached out and he touched us that believe. He touched us so far and so deeply that he touched our deepest wounds. He touched our sin by sacrificing himself for our sin on the cross. He, the clean, touched we, the unclean men and women. And he made us clean by his mercy and for his glory. This is the the gospel. This picture right here of the leprous man tells us everything we need to know about life and godliness. Jesus is compassionate. Had any one of us touched the man full of leprosy, his uncleanness would have contaminated us. This is what the law says. This is what science says. But listen, Jesus did what the law could not do. Jesus did what we could never do. His power, his transcendent glory, his holiness is strong enough to not only remain unstained by the leprosy when he touched it, more so his holiness is able to be translated to the leper. Jesus remains unclean or unclean and he makes that leper clean when he touches the unclean. Jesus, friends, is stronger than leprosy. Jesus, friends, is stronger than sexual immorality. He is stronger than greed. He is stronger than gossip. He is stronger than murder. He is stronger than abuse. He is stronger than all of our sin. And when he touches us, we are made clean and he remains unclean. This is the gospel. This is our hope. This is the good news. See, what Luke is saying, what the gospel of Jesus Christ says, friends, is that No matter what you have done, no matter what you have had done to you, Jesus is stronger. He is compassionate and his compassion moves towards us when we bow before him and beg him to make us clean. He reaches out and he touches our guilt. He touches our shame. He touches our sin and he remains unclean. And by his blood sacrifice, he touches us and makes us clean. It's amazing. This is what baptism, by the way, is picturing this cleanness coming out of the water. Nothing of us, all of him, his power to love and to touch the unclean. Who is Jesus? He is powerful. At his word, he speaks. And so it is. He is powerful. He is a provider. He provides for our every need. Most fundamentally, he provides for our deepest need of forgiveness. He is transcendent. He is set above and apart from us, and yet he came near, so near that when we who believed saw him for who he was, and we knew that we were sinners, he was merciful. He was merciful. He says to us, while we have much to be fearful of, when we come to him and plead for mercy, plead for forgiveness, he says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm full of mercy. And he's full of generosity. He employs us in his work. He tells us to not be afraid. And he employs us in his work of spreading his glory. He's compassionate and that he touches our sin and he makes us clean. He's willing to draw near to our uncleanness. He says to you that maybe you're unclean, that are trying to keep your distance from him. He says to you, come. I have cleanness. I will touch you. Come. Be clean. By grace through faith in Jesus, our guilt, look at verse 13. What happens? It's immediately gone. Immediately gone. Friends, do you know this Jesus? This one, not the one that's sort of two or three of these things. Do you know the Jesus that is all of these things and so many more? He is the one that we need. He is the one that is offered to us. He is the one that God the Father has sent to us to make us clean. To bring us home. The great saint of old from Alexandria, Egypt, said some 1800 years ago, just a couple generations after Jesus was on the earth, he said this. He says, In our sickness, we need a Savior. In our wanderings, a God. In our blindness, someone to show us the light. In our thirst, the fountain of living water that quenches forever the thirst of those who drink from it. We dead people need life. We need a shepherd. We children need a teacher. The whole world, he says, needs Jesus. Amen? whole world needs Jesus. And so you might be asking, you come in this morning, and you are that leper, and you're aware of the fact that you have not come near to Jesus, bowed the knee to Jesus, trusted Jesus to take away that uncleanness. You may be asking, okay, how do I do that, Nathan? How do I come near? How do I get made clean? 
Well, friend, learn from Simon the leper and the leper here in this passage. In faith, in faith, bow before your king and believe two things that we see right here. Believe first that you are just like Simon, a sinner. You've rebelled against God. You deserve his wrath. You don't deserve to stand in the presence of his glory. Believe that. See that. Know that. Trust that. Own that. And then second, plead to Jesus for mercy. Plead to Jesus for mercy. Like this leper, say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Say that to him. If you will, you can make me clean. That is to say, friend, plead the blood of Christ to clean you. Plead the blood of Christ. Don't plead your good works. Don't plead your intention to do good works. Plead the blood of Christ for mercy to make you clean. Plead the blood of Christ. Ask him, Lord, if, Lord Jesus, if you can, you will. Will you do it for me? Will you make me clean? Will you touch me? Will you swallow up all of my sin and bring me back to you? Will you say to me, don't be afraid. Will you bring me in your presence? Will you make me clean? Say that to him. Plead it. And when you do that in faith, then friend, feel the touch of Christ on your shoulder. Hear his words. Don't be afraid. Be clean. Just as Jesus spoke to Simon and told him to drop the net, believe Jesus' words and be clean and enjoy it. Believe his word. Trust him to bring you in the presence of God. Don't be afraid. The king of kings calls you his. He is merciful. He is generous. He is compassionate. Go to him in faith. Go to him in believing and asking him to touch you and make you clean. Do that. Pray that to him. But what about those of you that have already done that? What about those of you that have already gone to him, bowed the knee, asked him for mercy, and he's made you clean? What about you? How do you respond to this passage? Three ways, briefly. First thing I think that you to do, you and I should do, is we look to Jesus. Day after day. After day. We look at him again and again and again and again. We keep looking at Jesus. We remember who he is. We remember what he's like. Day after day. We rehearse those things for ourselves. That he's merciful, that he's compassionate, that he's gracious, that he's generous, but he's merciful. All these things, we rehearse this. Because the reality is, as you guys know, the things that Jesus demands of us are hard in this world. They're countercultural. They're difficult. So it's going to get easy to just give up. Unless you go back to Jesus and look at him and remind yourself of what he's like. And what he's done. You have to look to Jesus day after day. Remember who he is. Remember who you are. Remember what he's done. Remember what he's like. And then secondly, verse 11. After you've done that, you've rehearsed Jesus, who he is, what he's like. Look at verse 11. When they had brought their boats to him, they left everything and followed him. Slide down to verse 28. We'll take a look at this next week. Referencing Levi, he says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, these passages are describing what the disciples did. They are descriptive. In this passage, they are not prescriptive. Jesus is not necessarily saying that you need to leave your job, leave your family, leave everything you know, and follow him. But listen, listen to me. He is saying that everything's on the table now. If he's made you clean, if you follow him as Lord, he's saying everything's on the table now. He's the Lord, right? That's what we call him. He's the king. He can't be Lord of like these things over here and not those things. The king of those things over there that I kind of I can trust him with, but these I'm going to hang on to. Oh, he's either the Lord or he's the he's the Lord or he's not of our lives. He's the king. He must be king of everything. So in this sense, we do like these early disciples did. We are willing to walk away from it all to follow him. No matter what may comes our way. Come our way. We, we gladly submit to all of his gracious words. Guys, where else are we going to go? We're going to follow ourselves? Surely not. He has the words of life. We rehearse him. We remind ourselves of who he is and what he's like. And then we second, we put everything on the table. All of it. And then the third thing we do is we join him in his work of catching men. We make disciples. That's the third thing. See, I find it interesting in this passage that some of the first words that Jesus says in his internship program to Simon. 
is you're going to be catching men. And the last thing, one of the last things that Jesus says to Simon is what? You're going to be catching men. Make disciples. At the beginning of his internship, make disciples. At the end of his internship, make disciples. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's what disciples do, right? We're his disciples. We're his followers. Disciples means learner. We, we, we learn from him. We follow him. We make disciples. We throw the net of the gospel out into the world through the proclamation of the word. And we plead that Jesus would put fish in the net. We can't put the fish in the net. He's got to put the fish in the net. We go to people. We speak. We call them out. And we've got to believe. We've got to remember that he's generous to give us the privilege of joining him in that work of making disciples. He was generous to put us in his boat to go out and catch men in order that they would do as we have done. That when we call them, that they would do the same thing, that they would bow the knee, that they would plead for mercy, that they would understand that they should, that they want Jesus to depart because they're sinners, that they would then though plead for mercy and be forgiven and brought into his presence. I love Robert Coleman's line in the beginning of his excellent book, Master Plan of Evangelism. I would commend that book to you all. He says right at the beginning, it all started by Jesus calling a few men. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. People were to be his method of winning the world to God. Beloved, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Through your proclamation and invitation to follow Jesus, you are the hands that he will use to make people clean. So we go. We go. And listen, we don't just go and make disciples because we're commanded. Yes, we go because we're compelled. Right? And that's why we go. Because we're compelled by the love of Christ. Because we're compelled by the beauty of Christ. Because we're, we're compelled by the power of Christ. The mercy of Christ. The grace of Christ. We go compelled. We have been clean. The, like the, look at the passage here. The leper is compelled to go and tell others. Even though Jesus tells him not to. More on that later. We're compelled to go. This is the reason why these disciples, by the way, guys, would go on to leave their families, leave their jobs, and eventually die. Making disciples. Because they're so compelled by Jesus. In our community group a couple weeks ago, some of the guys were talking in our accountability time. And one of the brothers said something that another brother picked up on that I agreed with. This brother grew up in the church and he said, you know, I didn't grow up in a church that talked about treasuring Christ. We just didn't really do that. The other brother said, yeah, me too. And I quickly said, yeah, me too. Doesn't mean the gospel wasn't being preached there. But we all agreed that we were not in this culture of treasuring Jesus. But friends, that's what we're after. That's what we're trying to do here. Not just to get y'all to do stuff. I mean, we do other things. I'm here pleading with you to treasure Christ. And then from that, be compelled to go out into these neighbors and into these nations to make His glory known. Because you're compelled by Him. Because you treasure Him. You want other people to have it. Are you compelled by this Jesus because you treasure Him? Because you love Him? Because you know what it's like? We want you to be compelled to fish. Compelled by the love of Christ. You must be. Because if you're not compelled by Him, you might do it, but you'll get tired and you'll give up. Right? Jesus knew that. Paul knew that. I've seen it myself. You just get tired and off you go. But if you're compelled by the love of Christ, you go out and you get to make disciples. These sermons through Luke are meant to show you a compellingly beautiful and powerful picture of Jesus. Of what He's like. I've loved preaching through this book for that reason. Just to show y'all what He's like. Spread the Gospels, brothers and sisters. Practically, ask your coworker to go to lunch and read a book together. Read a book of the Bible together. Go on a walk with somebody. Go on a walk with a neighborhood, neighbor and just ask them, what, what do they think about Jesus? Talk to them. Get to know them. Invite them into your homes. Share a meal with them. Press in on them and ask them in love and kindness. What do they believe about Jesus? And then share Christ. Invite them into your homes. Invite them here. Maybe you've done that this morning. Friend, welcome. Glad you're here. They're going to talk to you about Jesus. Because they're compelled. 
Invite them here. Invite your friends here that don't know Jesus. Invite them here. And then afterwards, go to lunch and just say, all right, you tell me, what did you hear? What are you thinking? Let's, let's talk about it. But the work is going to be hard. We look to Jesus. We recall, we recall who he is and what he's like. We put everything on the table and then we go out and we make disciples. But lastly, before we leave, you're going to get tired. You're going to get really tired doing this. You're going to get weary. Some of you are already weary. Can I get an amen? Right? I know more of y'all are tired than that. Let me leave you with chapter 5, verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. If you look back at chapter 4, verse 42, Jesus does the same thing. He pulls away, goes to a desolate place, presumably to pray. So in both these situations, Jesus had been doing a great deal of ministry before. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. Great crowds had been coming to him. He'd healed them all. Back in chapter 4, verse 40, we see the same thing happening. Right? All this ministry is happening. All of this work. And amidst all of that, he does all of it. And we remember, when we forget that not only was he fully God, as, he, as he's doing the miracles, we forget sometimes he was fully man. He got tired. From doing work, from doing ministry. Are you tired? Working long hours at your job, caring for small children, meeting up with others, helping them to follow Jesus, praying with them, inviting other people into your home, coming home, loving your spouse, spending hours on the phone trying to love a, and care for a family member. Are you tired? Do you remember, friend, that Jesus got tired too from doing that? Did you know that? And how was it Jesus rested? First, I'd say, my guess is, I don't know this, but my guess is he probably got a good night's sleep most every night. I'm not sure many of us do that. But the other thing I'm sure of is he kept the Sabbath. There's one day he rested. But I think thirdly, what this passage is teaching us here is that he's regularly pulling away from the busyness of the world to meet with his father. To hear from him. To sit in His presence. To be encouraged. To be strengthened for the work ahead. There's something about getting away and spending time alone with the Father in a desolate place, away from the world, that renewed Jesus for the hard work. He didn't go away to stay away. He went away to be strengthened and encouraged to get back in and go to work. Right? This is the exact same story that Luke will tell in Luke 10. Mary and Martha. You all know that story? Martha's over there going, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. Mary's not doing nothing but sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? She's chose the better. Mary chose the better portion. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just sit. Put the work aside for a time. Pull away. Sit. One of the many things I love about this church is that you work hard. A lot of you work too hard. But you often say to me, I'm tired. And many of you are understandably tired, like you're working enough to be tired. It makes sense why you're tired. Many of you are full of anxiety. I hear that a lot. Beloved, when's the last time you did as Jesus did here? Withdrew to a desolate place? Maybe that could be in your home. I think even better if you could get away out of the city. One of my favorite things about men's retreats, it's amazing how quiet it gets when you get about an hour outside of this town. Amazing how my blood pressure goes down like this and amazing how much easier it is to talk to the Lord. Could it be that one of the reasons why you and I are so weary is because we're not regularly pulling away from the world to meet with God? To get quiet before the throne of grace and talk to Him who loves us enough to give us His Son. Many of you know that 22 years ago, my dad died. He was 50 years old. I was 22. He's been gone as long as I was alive when I knew him. Can you imagine what it would do to me if you told me that I could drive an hour north or a couple hours south of here and I once every two or three months I could go and talk to my dad. I could go up there. We could get in a quiet cabin, or we just get in a forest, we just take a walk for the whole day or half a day. What do you think that would do for me? If he said to me, you know, what it would, you know how much I would love to hear him say, you're doing good, 
doing good, son. Keep going. I love you. I'm proud of you. Don't stop. I know it's hard. But keep going. I'll see you soon, okay? Man, I would come back into this city on fire, right? I spoke to my dad. Finally, I got to talk to my dad. I hadn't seen him forever. And he's just talking to me, telling me, encouraging me. How much more our Heavenly Father that loved us enough to give us His Son. The Gospel purchased us access to God in prayer. We're so full of the world. The world is so noisy. We get so weary because we don't pull away to desolate places and just sit down and just listen to God. Read His Word. Be encouraged. But listen, if we do that, beloved, if we do that, if we can readily get in rhythms and patterns, we're reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, we're putting everything on the table, we're making disciples, and we're regularly pulling away to meet with God in prayer in desolate places to pray and be heard of Him. If we do that as a church, if we do that, this city got no chance, right? No chance. We will take over War Three for the glory of Christ. We will go to the nations and we will make him known. And yeah, we will get tired. But we know where to go, right? So may it be. Meet with God. Enjoy the glory of Christ. Remind yourself of what he's like. Meet with him. Talk to him. Make disciples. Make your life count. And let's help each other as we go. So let's do that now. We can't pull away to desolate places. But we can pray. So let's do that. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You rule by your word. You have reached out. You have made us clean at the cross. You have told us that believe, don't be afraid. You've commissioned us into your work. You've reminded us that you are powerful, that you are provider, that you are transcendent, that you are merciful, that you are generous, that you are compassionate and compelled by this. God, we go. But Lord, we get tired just as Jesus did. And so we come to you and we ask you to give us strength. Not so we can go out and make a name for ourselves, but we might make a name for our all glorious king. Who we love. We pray this in his name. Amen.